the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. Greetings and welcome to this latest episode of AV Nation TV's Connected. Um, this is a very interesting uh, episode. I've brought back together a number of the people that I met with at CES 2020 in January of early this year, right about the time at the announcement that uh, CES 2021, which uh, the, the, the folks from CTA had been telling us is absolutely happening, is now absolutely not happening. Um, the pandemic has, uh, what you know, cue the Queen song, another one bites the dust. We've now lost conferences um, and in-person events essentially through, I guess, mid-January of uh, 2020. 21 because of this horrific pandemic. Um, we had talked about a number of things on the show, and I'll make sure that I put a link in so that you can go take a look at the CES wrap-up where we talked about what was going on. But I, I brought a number of people back here that we spoke with at the time to, uh, to, to talk about what's happening. So let me ask them each to introduce themselves in the order that I have on the list over here. Um, Adrian, why don't we start with you, who you are and what you do. Hi, everybody. Uh, thanks for inviting me, David. And hi to Jonathan, Evan, and Mark. Good to see you again. Uh, my name is Adrian Cottrell. I'm the editor-in-chief of uh, Daily Do. Um, we write about digital signage, a little bit about AV and digital out of home, which is uh, ad tech and programmatic billboards, etc. Terrific. Evan, you're next on my list. Hi, guys. Uh, Evan Kerstell. I'm a digital social uh, practitioner of sorts, living on social media networks, helping clients in the B2B tech space, and forward to chatting and catching up. Thank you, Evan. My colleague, Polly from Polly, Jonathan. I'm Jonathan Grover. I'm part of the strategy team at Polly, a communication technology provider. Terrific. Thank you. And last but not least, of course, Mark. Hi, everybody. My name is Mark Peterson. Uh, I lead the AV practice at Shen, Milsom, and Wilkie, and uh, very much engaged in this transition and interplay of consumer electronics with uh, corporate and all the other verticals, uh, hospitality and, and mixed use. Okay, so let's let's take the first couple of uh, uh, minutes, five, ten, whatever it takes to kind of talk about the reality of where we are right now, not getting into the health concerns of the pandemic because we all know how horrific it is, but into the economic realities of the conferences and trade shows. CES is North America's largest trade conference, 170,000 attendees, um, all paying, you know, most paying around $700 a night for $23 hotel rooms, um, hundreds of millions of dollars into the Las Vegas economy, and pretty much that's all shot to heck right now because that conference isn't going to be happening. They've, of course, said that they're going to go all digital um, and they'll have a great experience. And I have no doubt they're going to do the best that they can. We've all seen virtual conferences, you know, during this pandemic. But that is a huge hit to Las Vegas. It's a huge hit to the Las Vegas economy. It's a huge hit to the electronics industry, uh, both consumer and professional and news. And it's a huge hit to our psyches, knowing that as we're recording this, it's just around the 1st of August. Um, and we're not, we realize we are not going to be traveling to any business conferences till at least mid-January, if not longer. So uh, who's got thoughts on that? Who wants to talk about how that's going to impact everything that's going on? Anybody want to go first? Sure, I'll step in there uh, because, you know, what I, I heard uh, first, uh, you know, when the Showstoppers was going to do a couple of pre-shows, right, uh, just before the CES release happened, uh, our our process of engaging in the trends in consumer electronics isn't limited just to CES, right? There are a couple of these peripheral shows that are peppered out throughout the year that really provide some insight and opportunity, particularly for the startup companies, to show early on products. So 
um, you know, our typical process of, of, of walking through and engaging with these products is so much about uh, what's what you're feeling in the space, the energy in the space, um, and you don't know because it's never been on the market before. You don't know what to expect, and so it's not a purposeful. You can walk the floor, but it's not purposeful until products, for the most part, and in, in, on, on. So you don't have any preconceptions. So I'm really concerned that in a in a new environment where it's becoming virtual. The opportunity to be creative and spontaneous is, is much more restricted, right? It's much more formalized. I hope that they're able to adopt one of these virtual um, uh, expo uh, events. We've seen a couple of them that work really well, where you can actually get a sense of the floors. You have some sort of relevance. You have an avatar. You can kind of get a sense of where the different areas and floor spaces are. If they do that, if they combine it with a really good methodology of the floor plan and layout, it could work. If they don't, I think it's going to be a disaster. Well, the, the problem you run into with the virtual trade show um, is that if I know what I want to go see, we've the, companies have done a really good job enabling me to go see it. But CES and as you talk about Showstoppers and Pepcom and some of the other events that, that we go to around uh, CES, um, are, I'm going to see the things I don't know that I'm going to go see and, and you know, or the people that I haven't met yet. And we haven't done a good job. I mean, this was a case where, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality, if we could wear a pair of glasses and look around and do, you know, a, a live long and prosper, a virtual handshake with somebody we haven't met before, that would have been awesome. Video, for the most part, and I know we've talked about this on webcast before, um, has risen to the, the challenge of letting people work remotely and be remotely. I mean, it's really between broadband access and access of multiple video platforms. It's great. Virtual reality, augmented reality, man, was this an opportunity for them. And I don't think they're ever going to recover from not being able to meet this opportunity. So I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical that any virtual trade show can create the, the, the spontaneous collisions that a real trade show could have done. Hey, John, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I, I think that's, that's the heart of what I think about the difference in the new norm that the pandemic has caused. We're moving from this model of it's semi-curated. We can go in somewhere. We can discover things in, in sort of trends and sections and themes that have been put together. But, you know, it's truly only semi-curated. We don't know what we're going to see. Vendors have the opportunity to show off their new things, to be discovered, to, to have new news coverage without all of the upfront um, marketing and sales engines that more established companies have. And in a, a virtual trade show, all that has to be curated. We're given a very narrow slice of, of the world that's been decided by whoever's putting on the trade show. And well, that's great and, and certainly meets the, the mega trend uh, concept that we'd like to see covering an industry, uh, it, it misses out on all those new niche products that are the diamonds in the rough that we all hope to discover. Um, for me, I think that's that's what I'm most missing in all of this. It, it's those um, amazing things that I get to discover by just wandering the floor and having that organic feel of what this technology could be used with next to that technology. Yeah, we, we just haven't figured out a way to replace that yet. Evan, what are your thoughts? Well, Dave, we met at CES in January, and uh, that was my first CES. So somehow I managed 30 years in tech without going to CES in person. And I think somehow the industry will survive if it gets its digital and content act together. I mean, most of us are spending 12 hours a day on the Internet. 
consuming amazing content on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And the brands are going to have to step up and build immersive experiences that tell stories and engage consumers. And, uh, you know, having a big show like CES was a little bit of a cop out in some ways and in that they could get all that media coverage and all that exposure without having to double down on digital. And so now they're having to really wake up to that reality. I think some industries are hurt more than others by lack of a CES. I think about automotive, you know, when it comes to cars, you really want to touch and feel and get in the car and experience things. Others, frankly, loan themselves more to a digital experience or social, you know, media style VR experience and others, digital products and services. So I think it's there are going to be some winners and losers, but you know, like like all things with this pandemic, we will go on. Yeah, no, that that's a good point. Um, it's it's interesting though that what we've got is is a very uh, let's call it a flattening of the digital industry. Um, in in the idea that now that we're all doing virtual conferences, what is the difference between a virtual conference by the biggest conference manufacturer in the world and a virtual conference by the five of us going online? It's a complete even playing field. So why do I need to pay to have the sponsorship of these big platforms when, when again, it, anybody who can go on YouTube for free and stream has the same potential audience and the same potential energy? And the other part of that is it also raises the noise floor. How can you find the gems separated out from the pablum that's being thrown out over there. I, I mean, let's go to you for a second, Adrian, because you've been following these conferences and you've been talking about, you know, what's going on, how conferences have been reacting to the pandemic. And, you know, here's the official industry reporting to you. You were right about a lot of things, although I was always uh, agreeing with you. What do you think does it, what does this mean for conferences in the short term and in the long term? Well, that's a, that's a big question. Uh, first of all, I mean, this, the CES thing, Evan's right. I mean, the industry will go on, the industry, the consumer electronic industry. I think I have to say, I think I was a little disappointed by the announcement, uh, not because it's not happening. I'm, it, my disappointment with the announcement is that I think Vegas is going to lose like $300 million over a couple of weeks. And Vegas is hurting now from the, just the lack of does generally. I mean, they're building a new convention center. The convention center was being extended primarily for CES. I'm not sure that we'll ever return to 170,000 people. Uh, size trade shows, uh, in, not in the next couple of years, I don't think. But I was disappointed with the way the CTA announced it. I mean, the announcement is, we all know the announcement is, is that CES has been cancelled. That should have been the announcement. What we got was lots and lots of PR that CES has gone digital. Well, great. Okay, so CES has gone digital. It's gone digital because you've cancelled the event. No thought has been put into the fact that it's going online. If the event goes online, does it have to be in January? Straight after the new year. I mean, one of the biggest issues sometimes for people going to CES was you leave your family at Christmas or the new year and then you head straight to Vegas. That might be a positive. I always used to like going to Vegas in January because it was nice and warm. And the alternative was to go to NRF in New York the week after, which is cold and snowy, whatever, also cancelled. So I was very disappointed with the announcement. I, I don't think they were particularly honest. They should have just said that it's cancelled, guys. Now we think of something to do. They obviously cancelled it quite quickly, and then they thought, okay, let's do it online. As Mark pointed out, I don't suspect much thought has been has gone into how they're going to do that online. I mean, when you think that CES is probably the largest car show in the world, which Evan just mentioned, that's not going to be replicated. You know, what, what bits are you going to replicate online? Are you going to replicate the 
the keynote presentations, the the private press briefings. There's not a lot that I think you can easily replicate. Apart well, Adrian, from let me let me interrupt you there just for a second, and you can go right back. I'll be honest. You know, the press days, which we've all attended for CES for the for the last few years, I there was a point where some of the larger ones when Samsung did a press conference and a few of the and Sony did their press conference where I was sitting back either in my hotel room or in the press room and watching it on a stream anyway. It was just yeah, too yeah. much to wait no. in line and too, too, too difficult yeah. to get all of them. You know, I don't think if I'm interested now, I'm going to be doing that from the comfort of my home office. Right. And then the starship, you know, the star troopers and stuff like that coming and they kind of got off into glorified. I think we have to remember there are different hats here, right? There's our hat as an analyst. There's our hat as somebody who's walking the floor who wants to know what's going on. There's the hat of the consumer who's just basically waiting for the next, uh, you know, Twitter note or something that says something's, you know, in industry important. And then there are the actual product developers. And I think that's where the biggest challenge, frankly, is, is, is that in our pandemic environment, two things are happened. First, so much less access to what people want and need and very tailored and focused. You see it in all the advertisements to the pandemic, right? So how do they know what to invest in, what to, because they've got all, we talk about fuel in the fire from a productivity point, everyone is like panicking. They got to be active or they're going to lose their job. They got to make sales. So everyone's really focused right now. The question is, what are they going to do? I mean, the more mobile or pencil sharpeners you make if they aren't meeting the demand and what how that pivots. So I think the real challenge here, here is how to communicate back into the manufacturers and the innovators what is strategic, what is going to be providing value. And I think we need, so not only do we need the trade show side, we need a way of getting that channel back into those, uh, the feedback mechanism. So great to walk into a virtual environment, great to see a product, but how do I actually, how do they see my feedback? How do they share? How do I make sure that they are understanding that that technology is going to be successful or not? For sure. Now, I, I'm just adding to that. I mean, trade shows are typically put on by event organizers, the, the big ones whose business, sole business is putting on a trade show, and in, in some cases, industry associations. I think, I don't think that we'll see a major trade show in North America between now and the middle of next year. When you look at Google, who've told all their employees to work from home from July until July 2021, um, I know of a number of large, big tech software companies, or tech companies in general. You know, they've got travel bans until the end of March 2021. That means you know, if you're working from home and you've got a travel ban, you're not going to go to a trade show. You know, April, May, I think NAB would be in doubt, which is supposedly happening the first or second week of April. Um, it could be that there are no trade shows in North America until July next year. So again, Infocom, I think, has to be in doubt. But, you, but the people who put the events on need to think about what their purpose is, which I think you just alluded to, Mark. You know, okay, let's try, what do you want to do? Try and replicate a trade show virtually or with AR? Do you want to just put the conference stuff online? Um, David talked about it right at the very beginning of the presentation. I mean, Samsung didn't do Mobile World Congress, but they launched their phones because Samsung can get an audience of, I don't know, 50,000 people at the drop of a hat. You know, take Evan, for example. He's the top social media influencer at CES. Whether he goes or not, he's the top social media influencer. The check is in the mail. Th thanks very much. Every single year, he's the top social media influencer. If I'm a brand, if I'm, I don't know, Ultra Leap or somebody who wants to do something new, I speak to Evan, you know, and I get Evan to talk about my product. You don't need uh, a trade show. You don't need an exhibition. You don't need to, you know, to sponsor an event when you can get the social media influencers involved. And I think David and I have agreed for this for a year or so. All the shows have never bothered with the social media influencers. 
never bothered with it at all. They've thought, no, we just, you know, we count. Do they ever count those numbers? CES, Infocom, ISC, they never count, you know, who's top of the social media influencer board, who's done the most Instagram, who's done the most Facebook, because to them, it's, been, it's beneath them. Now, I think well, they're going to get their comeuppance because now they need the Evan Kirstels and things more than ever. Yeah. Adrian, you and, and Mark and Jonathan and I did a live interview at one of the events. We've mentioned it before. I'm not going to mention it now because I don't want to shame them. Um, I couldn't get Evan into the event. The event, people said, no, sorry, press only. They yeah. didn't understand that he was the leading social media, social media influencer for CES for the last 10 years. Um, and they, and they, they could, I couldn't get him in. So, so you're right. I think that we're in a situation right now where people are embracing digital. And, and it's an interesting dichotomy where you see that um, um, there are a lot of companies doing it who've always supported online education and people who are putting up webinars that always put up webinars. And you've got people who never let you record their events and never let you put up webinars that are now suddenly embracing the piece of it that's one of the reasons there's such a noise floor so you're right it is a comeuppance um and it's going to be interesting i think let's make the list the last point on this part of it in that we're going to have had at least a full year if not more based on what you're saying adrian of no conferences and manufacturers and and, and exhibitors are going to look at their budgets and they're going to look at their revenues and they're going to say here's the hit we took just because it was a pandemic and people were working remotely and here's the hit we didn't take because we didn't go to the show, so we didn't have to spend a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars on hotels and meals and T and E and airfare and entertainment. But we made the sales anyway. What was the point of ever doing it? So I think we're, we've it's going to kind of turn out to be a huge equalizer in the space in terms of uh, you know what's valuable and what isn't. It should be. I mean, we all know the Extron story with ISC and Infocom from many years ago when they when they pulled out uh, and never returned, but spent the money on their own things. I mean. Mobile World Congress got cancelled this year. LG pulled out of that. Will, would they go back if Mobile World Congress takes place in Barcelona next year? You know, they, they save six million. Allegedly, they save save six million euros by not going. Well, that's that's a lot of money. And when you think that the market's now dropping, just to add to that one, I mean, NRF, which is a show that we all, we always try to cover, the National Retail Federation show. I mean, forget the pandemic. I mean, the pandemic is horrible and people are dying and it's sad and whatever else. Even if there was a vaccine and you could go to New York safely in January, NRF wouldn't happen. Well, NRF wouldn't happen because the retailers are not in a mood to go. There is no retail. I mean, there is some, I mean, unless you're Amazon, but you know, retailers are not in a mood to go. When they're laying off people and closing stores, they don't want to go to, to, to NRF in January and say, wait, well, what a great industry you're doing and listen to some you know, crappy keynote speaker who, whatever. So and there's a lot more to it than just the pandemic, I think. It's, there it's is. The there was a statistic on Twitter today. I think um, many event industries are laying off you know, 50% of their staff, event, AV event companies. So they can have the we haven't pandemic seen... and money too, right? I mean, the problem is is not having money. You mentioned that, you know, Hudson Yards, right? And 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 what happened? There was such a big turn from of events of having a very vibrant economy with a lot of money to spend a lot of wealth, a lot of success stories, and now put the brakes on all of that. The transition's remarkable, and, and this is where I go back to, what is it the customers are looking for? What is the demand? What is the need? And obviously, you know, heavy saturation in these, you know, health fact, health metering and things like that, or entertainment, right? And they say, well, are you gonna double down on that factor, or can you be further out and visionary? What's the risk if I have a limited amount of money to spend on development? 
So anyway, let's take a pivot at this point now, since you know we, we've we've certainly aired our thoughts about trade shows in general, and let's go to some of the specific topics that we all covered when we spoke in in January. And Matt and Evan, I'll go to the couple of things that you talked about first. You had said a couple of the reasons that you were going to CES was because consumer technology was converging with enterprise technology. That was one, and one of the other ones I'm reading it here is you talked about how video adoption is on fire. And now, if we look at that, you know, in the lens of uh, six months later and 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 after this pandemic. Oh my God, was that right? I mean, I've been FaceTiming with my doctors who are, who are who are completely opposed to doing any kind of telehealth, but they're also opposed to dying from a disease. So all of a sudden they want to do FaceTime appointments now, and there are better technologies they should be using, but nobody cared. People jumped on these consumer technologies. We've seen, you know, Google jump up. We've seen Zoom obviously jump up. We've seen Microsoft change the, what they've been developing going forward. I mean, video adoption on fire was some one of the other things that you had said, you know, you know the pandemic through gas gasoline on the fire my god with what we're doing with video so evan kudos to you are you taking the sense that you saw this the right way with or without the pandemic going on well they were pretty obvious trends but definitely with telehealth uh it's it's been shocking the adoption for obvious reasons it's the telemedicine usage was about three percent uh before the pandemic it went to 90 percent basically within a, a couple of months and it, it's now it looks like it might be falling back. So I, I wonder, you, you know, where it will end up. Uh, a lot of regulatory and, and uh, other changes made telemedicine much easier. But of course, now we're, we're, we're as a society, as people, we're more comfortable, you, you know, with video. And a lot of that discomfort, displeasure has sort of evaporated. So now uh, it, it, it is the new normal. And I doubt that... Um, you know, we're going to we're going to go back to pre pandemic levels. Yeah, we, we're thinking, you know, at our company about how it's it's a, it's the new hybrid future with a hybrid workforce. Hybrid is going to be a very popular word once you've realized that you can work at your desk typing, interacting with people, doing your individual work without an hour, hour and a half commute into an office and an hour, hour and a half commute back, which is often the worst part of the day. There's no reason people are going to leave their home workspace if they have one and go into an office just to do individual work. They will go into an office to, to brainstorm with people if they can reach it, to see people face to face once it's safe and healthy to do that again, to celebrate wins, to celebrate anniversaries. So the office isn't going to be a place where individual workers work. Work, it's going to be a place where human beings converge. Same thing for, you know, hybrid going in the education space. You can't build a classroom now that only teaches to the students that are in the class. You need to build it so that you can teach to the local people and the people taking it remotely. I think hybrid is just going to explode when it comes to video, and video is going to be the engine that drives it. Right, because you never know where anyone's going to be at any given time, right? And, and so you have to be able to support that now every day, every event. What's remarkable, I think, is what the experience is like when you are seeing a group of people congregate, right? So a meeting, uh, have you, um, uh, you know, have you seen and been in situations where you're looking in and seeing a room with people in it? And of course, those people have masks on, right? So their voice is not as good and their half or partial view because used to, that used to be the accepted view. So the senior leaders who are trying to say it's safe to go back to work are in these spaces, six feet apart so you barely see the next person in a meeting room. And well, that experience is so much worse than what I got right now, right, right here. 
So there's a lot of, our, of, of, of people saying what I've got in the consumer environment, what I've been able to work out and figure out how to use, thank God, right? It's easy enough and it's, it's kind of okay. I, I want to be able to do that here, right, or in this environment and apply it. I want to be able to apply it. The, the ability to take your experience and use it in other situations really is going to be the catalyst on how much the adoption is going to continue to grow, right, afterwards and post. The utilization, even Zoom. I went and rented a U-Haul, right, and I'm waiting in line. Okay, where is that virtual desk? If Get the Zoom call on because for 45 minutes it's free for whoever creates that app. And let me, let me talk to that U-Haul person that's somewhere else. They used to be doing that. I don't know why they still don't have more of those situations because I don't need to talk to that U-Haul person. I just need to pay my bill, thank you very much. I need to talk to somebody. So this, this ability to bring in the virtual environment into the spaces that we have normally been face-to-face, -face is, is, I'm just wondering, there needs to be more of that, more push into that to make it easier to, to move from consumer to uh, retail, in-person retail, in-person services. More hybrid everywhere. Adrian? Yeah, just jumping back to what you said about education, David, one of the things that I think people haven't realized in the classroom is that lessons need to change the way the lesson is given. So the existing curriculums we have uh, are probably not right for that hybrid classroom environment. My son lives in China, has lived in China for three years and, and teaches English there. Um, and he was in lockdown for 102 days. For those 102 days, he was using uh, the WeChat which is the popular Twitter slash instant messaging slash PayPal application, which has a classrooms product. Well, you know, he had to change all of his lesson plans. The lesson plans you do when you're there in person are completely different to what you do when you're doing it online. So that's something that I don't think people have really thought about. And we, well, our industry, the AV industry prides itself for trying to be at the forefront of this sort of stuff, and especially education. But again, when they're recreating a online infocom for example there's no nobody's got any i was gonna say sense but nobody's thinking about how we could help those people change those things i know david oh, you've always been thinking about hybrid stuff but you know it's not the same old stuff things change the the role of a school teacher changing completely when they're doing something we're the industry the av industry should be to help those people for heaven's sake we've got a lot absolutely of I, so I i i gave a presentation I gave a presentation to the USDLA earlier this week about um, how uh, the, the the educational classroom is changing when 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 radio when we were all listening we not we when people were listening to radio in the 1920s and 1930s people were reading scripts TV first came out all we had were people on camera reading scripts into microphones it didn't work it was a new medium and it required a new message and what we should have been doing in lockdown for the last few months is working with our teachers and working with the educators to say look the lesson you gave in a classroom doesn't work in the media medium of video. How do you make a lesson that works over video? How do you use tools, technology, and change the message? So it's just as easy for you to give, but it's a new content for a new medium. And for the most part, nobody's done that. So, you know, we're, we're going to go through this painful learning piece again. Uh, John, you had a couple of points on this? Yeah. I, I mean, as we talk about this, I think the concept of comfort really comes to the forefront of my mind, right? No matter how safe we feel wearing a mask, nobody's actually comfortable doing that, right? The mediums we have at our disposal today and the technology that enables it, enables us to be more comfortable at home than 
out there in the wild. David, you mentioned the experience of FaceTiming with a doctor. I've done it myself, and candidly, I never felt terribly comfortable going into a doctor's office. I always felt I'd be sitting next to somebody who's sick, and the act of going to the doctor was exposing me to germs, right? I am much more comfortable actually taking that doctor's office call at home, right? When we think about voice technologies in the enterprise, you know, we've had Siri, we've had Google Assistant, we've had Alexa at our house for quite a while. And I've always been really comfortable asking my device to turn off the lights or tell me the weather. And I've never felt comfortable doing that in an enterprise setting at the office saying, hey, what's my next meeting so that everybody could hear it. But instantly, I've become much more comfortable using these technologies. I think when we talk about video adoption, right, and, and this explosive growth we've seen, so many people I used to meet with, you know, we'd have virtual meetings, but I'd never see them on video, right? They'd pick up the phone, right? They'd call into a meeting. They didn't feel comfortable sharing the camera. I think this forced comfort, whether it's sort of down at the educational level with children or with any of us and our colleagues today to be on video because we need to, in part because we are craving that human interaction. I think that's huge in making us and changing sort of how we all feel about these remote technologies and is part of what's fueling the growth here. Yeah, I agree. And John, while we're on you, you and I had talked about at the, when we were at CES about this idea of the, the plethora of really inexpensive true wireless earbuds that were popping out so that we were going to be able to get them for $30 and $40. And, you know, now that we're on all of these calls and we see people with these earbuds sticking out of their ear, they, they, the charge lasts for sometimes not, a, not an entire call. Um, sometimes, you know, the, 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 the sound is terrible. You're wearing obviously a really excellent pair of headphones. Um, I think we've seen how, how those cheap consumer headphones just typically aren't cutting it in this environment. Uh, well, I'll also say the $30 headphones usually aren't comfortable. Uh, you know, that's for sure. But certainly the quality, I mean, I choose these ones because these are the most comfortable headphones I can find, to be totally honest. But all that being said, it's also the quality, right? Uh, I'm cognizant both of my experience in having this type of interaction with you, David, but also, you know, I don't want you saying, huh, did you hear me? Right. What did you say? And then all of a sudden I got to, you know, my headset cuts out and it loses its charge and I got to go figure out how to do that. And we waste a bunch of time. I think um, even though it was so accessible before, we're really realizing the value of a quality device. And certainly that, that may be one of the shifts that we see off of what we thought we were going to be seeing this year at CES, which is cheap accessible was the name of the game. And now it's actually, well, if I'm, I'm using these more than just for five or 15 minutes at a time to listen in a, to a song or make a quick phone call, maybe I should invest in something that actually enhances my experience. Great. Evan, you have a thought on that? Yeah, I'm all about high quality audio and, uh, you know, I have kind of one of each when it comes to uh, audio headphones for sure. Um, I, I do think, you know, there's a lot of disruption happening there as well, frankly. If you look at what Apple's doing with their earpods, they're bigger than most Fortune 500 companies in the earpod business alone. So, you know, companies like Apple and, uh, and yourself, they're doubling down on R&D now in audio processing and DSP and signal processing and audio. So all of a sudden, audio, not just video, is as important as ever. And it's really become not just about audio, but health. You know, a lot of these devices will have sensors and other actuators and, 
and devices that that can uh, measure heartbeat and breathing and other things. So, yeah, the the pandemic has has brought a lot of investment in areas we thought were kind of frankly old school. I just want to jump in on that, Evan, because it, the 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 real challenge has been availability of product, right? I mean, I'm seeing that particularly coming into the, the September, uh, and it goes it ties back into the education part because we've got schools trying to outfit classrooms with technology to do Zoom calls, right? So it's this consumer product unavailable completely. And it's not just not just the cameras and not just the microphones, but it's the infrastructure devices, mounts. You name it, anything that's related to the space of being able to do this kind of uh, communication and, and audio and video, it is very hard to find products in it, it, that, that are available and, and then and then and in any kind of quantity, right? So uh, that also is driving demand. And what does that mean in terms of, of the future of demand uh, of requirements and, and performance uh, expectations for audio, I think, are, as you said, are absolutely critical. Where we have seen um, the... Airbuds or earbuds um, become not so effective. I think we also see a wide dispersion between quality of experiences for for collaboration using these devices, depending upon what market you're in. If you're in higher ed or or, or K through 12, and you're on a call, or if you're in a call with your community organizers, you are struggling to hear people. You're struggling to have a conversation. The, the people don't understand how to use the tech, and they are just very difficult. When I'm in in sessions with projects and teams and organized groups, it's it's awesome. I mean, the quality is fantastic. So you run this full gambit of experiences uh, across the different groups. And I think that the takeaway is that people, based upon that experience, they're predicting what they're, what it's going to be in the future for them. And they're, and they're, they're going to opt out or they're going to, or they're going to opt in based upon that. And you also have right now going on this concept and it's, it's short term, but I think it'll be sticky for at least a little while. This fear of touching things. You know, when you go into an enterprise conference room, do you want to, first of all, when you go into the building, do you want to touch the elevator? When, when, you, when, you, when you get into a conference room, do you want to touch the touch panel? You know, and, and, and even if it's okay because it's going to be cleaned off or you're going to use something else to touch it with, this concept of us having to direct our technology falls right into one of the other trends that we were talking about during our conversation, which is the emergence of AI and machine learning to try and do the things for us that we used to have to tell it to do. Like, you know, uh, we, we've shown some examples over the last couple of weeks of, of, of relatively inexpensive enterprise camera systems that can follow a presenter around a room without having to wear a dongle, without having to wear a microphone, even if they're wearing a mask, that it can follow the teacher as it moves in. So you put in this one sub $1,000 device in a classroom and suddenly the teacher can walk around and be tracked. If you have a system where you guys were talking about, um, again, you know, the concept of here at home, we're better than being there. If we're watching two people in a room that are socially distant arguing with each other back and forth you know there are now systems out on the market right now that will do a split screen of that automatically so you'll see both people at the same time a better than being in the room experience or if somebody's banging and typing really hard or, or chewing or or some other distracting noise instead of having to reach for a mute button you now have the AI of the system saying oh I'm not just gonna mute the audio I recognize that that audio is noise I'm gonna filter it while letting the speech come through so again the remote participant is having a better than being there experience and, you know, I think we're just going to see more and more of this AI and machine learning work its way into consumer and into enterprise products so that we're going to have to direct it to do less things. It's going to be smart enough to do things on its own. And I think that's one major change that's coming forward. 
With no comments on that, then I'll pivot over to one of the other things that's going on, which is something we talked about when we were there. I think a couple of you were with me when we were at uh, at, at uh, one of the consortiums of, uh, of, of Hollywood producers talking about uh, the, the filmmaker mode that was coming to displays on televisions at home. So you could watch on your big screen, 60, 70, 80, 90 inch uh, OLED or, or LED display at home, the way the director intended the movie. And now we have an entire pivot going on in the in the entire higher movie and cinema theater you know cinemas in the uk movie theaters in the u.s have been closed for a very long period of time and people are sitting at home with a lot of over-the-top boxes willing to do pay-per-view um and a number of uh, titles have come directly to home to pay-per-view to streaming you know one of the biggest ones is hamilton coming to disney plus completely skipped the movie theaters you've had a number of the theater consortiums say that's it we're not working with hollywood anymore it's almost like pointing a gun to their own heads and saying you know you know, don't, don't stop what you're doing or I'll shoot. I see that entire industry as being completely changed. You know, I don't want to have to spend, you know, $20 on a ticket and $18 on a box of popcorn to sit in an uncomfortable seat. If I can get a better experience at home, that the whole cinema and movie going, creating Hollywood experience, that whole thing is going to change. Anybody thinking about that or seeing that change as a pivot as well? As a consumer of, cinemas a big film fan i can i i don't know very much about the technology but it's obvious isn't it you can see it um big screens everywhere whether it be 4k 8k whatever it, the technology is but um that's one of the nice things about ces you go around and you look at the stuff and you dream of those big 120 inch screens or you look at the uh what samsung are doing with the the led stuff i think is is amazing so um just as a consumer of it it's sort of obvious. You're spot on, David, with all the things that cinemas have done wrong. Um, it's going to get again. It's going to bite them in the bum. All that, all that time we put up with that stuff, it's going to bite them. I, think. I mean, I'll, I'll take a, a stab at this because I'm very passionate about movies. I actually love the theater experience. Uh, you know, I recognize it's not an inexpensive experience. You know, I'm paying $20 a ticket for me and my partner. We're probably spending another $20 on popcorn and drinks, but that's a special night out, right? You know, we're looking forward to going to see a AAA movie. We're not going to go every particular weekend to that. And with so much content now available for us at home, are we making that experience a lot less special by saying that AAA movie, right? is now coming to home and I can spend that same $20 on on my ticket, so to speak, to watch it from my big screen TV. Well, I mean, it doesn't feel the same. I'm not getting that same immersion. And while I very much respect on the technology front what we're doing to effectively enable the television experience and, and you know what I'm seeing to emulate what the director was intending, I still want to go see a big blockbuster movie in the theater, right? I, I candidly want that date night. I want to pay that money. Um, it makes that experience more special than me just sort of, you know, turning on Netflix or Hulu or Prime to decompress at the end of the evening. Well, John, I would I would agree with you that people want to have that special experience, that going out, that being with friends, that enjoying that environment. But when you take a a, a, a historic movie theater that 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 had be a beautiful proscenium stage and arches, and you turn it into a 47 plex where the screen is this big and the chairs are too narrow, and and you know when when you when you haven't brought the experience up to being special, the first thing people will think is, you know what? I could have gotten a better experience at home. 
Um, and the truth is you can't think about the money that, that the theaters are losing right now. They are sitting on, uh, the MCU black widow movie. They're sitting on the latest James Bond film. If they put that at home at pay-per-view at, you know, 10, 20, $30 a throw in the middle of a pandemic, people would jump at all of that and it would decimate the theater industry. On a positive note, drive-ins are back. So has anyone been to a drive-in with the new, uh, the new format? I mean... I thought they they'd gone with the fifties, but you know what's old is new again. Driving yeah, theaters it came out after graduations, right? Yeah, the same idea, parading, parading through. In fact, we just saw that with um, you know, with with religious uh, situations too, right? The concept of how you're going to congregate. I, I think, Dave, from my point is 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 the content, right? As you said, there are movies and and um that you want to see that that are blockbusters, but even even uh. What I heard from Jonathan was you, you want your choice. You want to be able to go out and have your choice. And I think the challenge is as we get back into the streamed content, there's a lot of influence socially, a lot of social influences that are happening. And what we saw, not just with the pandemic, but also with Black Lives Matters, and we're seeing more of this with the politics coming up, is that choices are being influenced. The brand's names themselves are at risk, depending on their position on certain issues and articles that are happening you know so if you're not speaking out then you're wrong right or you need to be able to weigh in on on social factors that's going to affect content right in the previous world i had a lot more self-destiny i could choose where i'd want to go now i think a lot of the brands are forcing the content that you have choices of to consume, which I think is really unfortunate uh, and that's a lot more of this direct consumer environment which we are seeing and and the sudden uh, ability to be able to purchase this stuff without in, in monetizing these these opportunities, which is also very interesting. Yeah, no, it's it's it. We are living through some very interesting change times. So I completely agree with that. Um, I I, th I think that the probably the last thing we talked about that I'd like to bring up today before we start to wrap this was was a number of you. I think Mark, you specifically, and a couple others as well, were talking about how a lot of the products we were seeing at CES 2020 were focusing on quality of life and quality of productivity. How 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 healthy do I feel at home? You know, am I, how healthy am I tracking my health? How relaxed I am? And I think that that probably is we would look at now through a different lens now that we're talking about all this video fatigue, um, I think we've shown, thank God, finally, that the remote worker is not a problem with productivity. People who stay home and work remotely are actually working too much. They're talking about how fatigued they are being on calls all day. We did a whole webcast on, on how to deal with that, but I think products aimed at making the home experience more productive and more relaxing might address some of those video fatigue issues. Um, uh, any comments on that from you guys? Yeah, all right. I didn't hear anybody step in, so I'm stepping in. <laughs> the the um the, when you talk about the quality of life and what's happening, the the big push that we saw and started uh, back in April was how to be able to use smart devices to track whether or not you've got uh, uh COVID, right? And we just saw uh, just in the use this this week uh, the the uh, Apple and Google working through a solution that allow you to be able to do some contact tracing and be able to do that. And I'll and, and I think the numbers to keep in mind is uh, eight million and fourteen. So uh, in in June. France started to adopt a different kind of platform for monitoring uh, the uh, health and tracing, and they only had 
14 people uh, that actually were indicating had, 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 were sick, and Australia did it, 6 million people, and no one got sick. And the point is that they were using a Bluetooth activation that required you to have your phone on as if you're using Pokemon Go all the time in order to be able to know whether someone else was sick. They got to get this straight so that you don't, that the technology in these devices have to match the purpose and intent of what they're trying to do. So that, that seemed to be an interesting uh, learning lesson there. You know, I haven't, I haven't tried one of the contact tracing solutions out there, largely because I've been very isolated um, within my home. And, and I think video fatigue, as you talked about it, David, uh, is real. And, and personally, I found a way to manage it. But, you know, initially, uh, you know, every Friday and Saturday, we would do trivia nights on Zoom with friends, right? And that was great. And as this has stretched on, video fatigue is is almost like I don't even want to be on video anymore when my work week has to end. And even though I crave that interpersonal interaction with friends, uh, it, it's counterbalanced by the fact that I spend, you know, eight to 12 hours a day on video anyways, I'm done, right? Like, let me not even look at a screen, never mind video anymore. I hear that. I, I, I find myself, uh, as you know, I work on the East Coast and many of my colleagues, such as yourself, work on the West Coast. And I get to four o'clock, five o'clock in the day. And you know what? I'm lying down in bed or making dinner. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of done sitting at my desk. So I hear that. All right. Let's, um, <clears throat> let's go once around with everybody. Find out how people can reach out to you and get your final thoughts. So, Evan, let's start with you. Um, uh, I, I'm bummed that you and I are not going to see each other back at that really bad restaurant at Caesars um, and record our impressions at CES 2021. But I'm sure I will see you again. What are your thoughts on conferences and what's going on and, uh, and, and when, the, when the next time we'll get together again is? You know, I don't know the answer to that, but I think we're done with conferences until summer of next year. We, we, we look at it. I think maybe there was a window of opportunity if we'd gotten our hands around this crisis, like frankly, much of the world is uh, starting to. But, uh, you know, given the current dynamic, you know, with the Trump virus, we're really getting out of out of hand. So I, I don't see us getting back together in small or large groups uh, anytime soon. So if, if somebody does want to reach out to you to have their, their social influence increase and, and be pushed forward with all the power that you have, how would somebody reach out to you and get a hold of you? Yeah, Twitter is my go-to, you know, for better and worse, it's Evan Kerstell. So look forward to connecting and sharing and, uh, and chatting on, on Twitter with all of you guys. Thank you very much, Evan. So, Mark, uh, what are your final thoughts on conferences and attending and where we're going with this and how could someone reach out to you? Fog of war. You know, we could be really close to some solutions and everyone's going to have to backpedal and pivot. Uh, what looks like the end of the world typically happens right before either the end of the world or some savior comes to it. So I, I'm a little optimistic. Uh, we certainly have an amazing amount of brain power working on a solution. Um, and the practicalities of actually getting something in place are a little challenge. I would say rent an expo. We were seeing a lot of rental push in the markets, uh, and it's a very interesting space for people that are renting products because of the risk of how much you want to invest in, in solutions now as opposed to just borrow on it. You can reach me either at mlpeterson.com. I actually did a recent um, uh, session on artificial intelligence with uh, vacuum cleaners, uh, which was kind of interesting to see where we're show at. Show and tell, where, show where and tell, at. love it. <laughs> and you can also reach me at, at Mark, at M. Peter, M. Peterson at uh, smwllc.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter.
Terrific. Adrian, how would somebody get a hold of you and uh, what are your final thoughts on conferences and when we're going to next get together and see each other? Okay. Uh, like Evan, my go-to place really is Twitter. So at Daily Do, as in Daily, D-A-I-L-Y, and then D-O-O-H, which actually stands for something. It's digital out of home. It's the out of home billboard business, which is digital. Um, yeah, like Evan, I think uh, summer next year, possibly for a big conference. I think one one sad thing is uh, there will be events, but they're going to be local. You know, we, we've got a conference coming up in September in Sydney. I'll get 100 people to that conference. But if you read about what's going on in Australia, nobody from the state of Victoria will be able to go to the state of New South Wales. The conference will be for 100 people in Sydney. We've got another conference with Samsung coming up in London uh, in their experience center. 150 people maybe maximum socially distanced, but the only people who will be there will be people who live in London or close to London. So, you know, unfortunately, because you guys live on the East Coast and the West Coast of the US, I probably won't get to see you until, I don't know, the fall of next year, maybe, if, we, if we're lucky. And that's a sad thing because, you know, one of the things, although I bitch and moan about trade shows a lot, the nicest thing is, is that the world becomes a smaller place when we can meet people. When we can meet people from China and from India and Americans can meet the English and we can meet the French and the Germans, whatever else, and the people from South America. That's lost for us, I think, for a good, probably for a good couple of years. Because even if we do get North American conferences back in summer next year, you're not going to get people coming from South America. You're not going to get people coming from India or China, I think, even China. I know that a lot of these conferences rely on the Chinese people. They're not going to travel. They, I just don't think they're going to happen. So uh, I don't want to end on a, on a sad note. I think the nicest thing about these shows, that, that these things that you put together, David, is the fact that we're comfortable with each other because we've met each other. That's the nice thing as well. We must never forget that. You know, we had a great time at CES earlier this year. Um, maybe we'll just live on memories for a, for a year or so. But um, anyway, thanks for having me on the show. It's been great. Thank you, Adrian. I appreciate it. And I will point out to you that while you are right in much of what you're saying, you know, I don't necessarily agree with all of it. I've met some people over video over the last few months doing these shows that I'd never met in person, oh. and I consider them good friends right now. Except it, I have to take the onus to reach out to them. It's not going to have that organic, natural connection. <clears throat> so anyway, Jonathan, last word from you and uh, what you think about conferences and tech and how can somebody reach you? Yeah, uh, we touched a little bit on hybrid work, and I'm really curious what the hybrid conference model of the future looks like, right? I don't know if we're ever going to go back to conferences and trade shows the way we had them before, or if, you know, the CES of the future has us all having a, a joint sort of conference at different hubs with screen shares and different locations and less travel. I think that's that's going to be a fascinating model with all the enabling technology we have uh, best way to reach me is via LinkedIn. Uh, it, it's it's my network of choice, and please feel free to reach out to me, Jonathan Grover, on LinkedIn. Jonathan, thank you very much. Everybody, thank you very much for joining me. I think this is our, uh, I, 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 we should be playing taps for CES, at least for uh, for this upcoming year, but we all feel good about uh, where we are with the technology, and hopefully when we get a handle on this uh, this horrible pandemic that's taken so many people around the world, we will uh, we will finally be able to go out and uh, a little at a time regrow the space and uh, meet each other in person again. So thanks to all of you. Thanks to all of my friends at AV Nation TV and the IMCCA. I'm David Danto. You guys know you can just Google me. I'm all over the place. I'm happy to chat with everyone on any platform you come up with. Thanks very much, and we'll see you on the next one.